Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you a South Florida property owner with an insurance claim? Are you dealing with water, mold, or fire damage? Looking for a reputable, fully licensed, insured, and certified contractor? Water Cleanup of Florida is here for you 24 hours a day. When a disaster strikes in your home or business, you need specialized, fast, and reliable services. Water Cleanup of Florida understands the impact and stress an unexpected disaster may cause. With over 62 years of combined experience, Michael, Robert, and Eric, and their team is prepared to handle any size disaster. The guys are born and raised in South Florida, so changing the narrative on the way contractors conduct business in South Florida is extremely important to them. Their objective is to make cleanup and insurance claim process painless and hassle-free. Water Cleanup of Florida is also a licensed building contractor, so they provide the A to Z service, one-stop shopping that busy homeowners and business owners require. There's no need to bring in other contractors. They will handle it all for you. Call or text them anytime at 561-408-7835 for immediate assistance. The number again, 561 561- 408-7835. Water cleanup of Florida. This show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a revolutionary new daily fantasy game whereby you pick two, three, or four players to go over or under their fantasy point projections, and if you're correct, you win. Pick two or more players from the same sport or league or go cross leagues for your parlay. Use the promo code 5, that's F-I-V-E, 5, and receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. But first, sign up at prizepicks.com to start winning today. Sports betting season is in full force. You need a sportsbook with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sportsbook industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com. They have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 800-69-BETUS. That is 800-MY-BETUS. And you will receive a 125% sign-up bonus by using the bonus code 5. That's the word 5, F-I-V-E. They also have re-up and referral bonuses as well. Follow my lead and open an account with BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS. This show is brought to you by Lewis Peters State Farm, agency representing the number one auto and home insurer in the United States for more than 60 years combined experience in the insurance industry. Local agents that understand South Florida's unique market, you have access to them 24-7, walk in, call in, click in through lewispeters.com. You can find them online on social media at Peters, or you can call at 305-275-5585. Remember, 
lewispeters.com. Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. Chris Kaufman is here. You see, we switched that up on you. We do not have Simon Clancy because he is currently gallivanting about the south of our fair country. Chris, how are you? At some point, at some point, I feel like uh, like people are going to start to catch on that actually that Simon is actually just my my British accent alter ego. Yeah, and that's and a that, great British accent, by the way. Because we're it is. I mean, I you know do a fair one. I work on it, but um, you know, because we're never in the same room together. Um, but when so. we do have both of you, quote unquote, you know, I'm doing the air quotes right now. Both mm-hmm. of you on the show, uh, you, you're really putting in work. Like that's like that's above and beyond, man. Two different microphones. Yes, um, of course. With a little, sound different, little, of course. With a little switch in between them. Mm-hmm. Does does the trick? Yeah, and uh, as always, uh, this show is brought to you by Manscape. Use promo code Five RSN get twenty percent off your entire order. They are up to the lawnmower four I don't know if you saw this one, but the four is like aerodynamically designed. I don't know why that's necessary, but evidently it is. Right? Like you'd rather have it be uh, ergonomically and aerodynamically designed than not. Right? I would hope so, right, Chris? Ergon- ergonomically, yes. Aerodynamically, what? <laughs> well, maybe, I, maybe, maybe you're going to be going at great speeds when you're using it, I th- right? So. I thought, I thought the point was to use it to make your junk aerodynamically mm-hmm. enhanced. Well, like well, that's like that, like reduce, reduce drag. <laughs> Reducing drag is. Is an awesome way to put it, right? But it, it, well, especially, it especially the ball toner, right? <laughs> revitalizing, <laughs> revitalizing certain things, and that does yes. reduce drag. <laughs> yeah, and we begin the show with breaking news on the biggest news of the week. Breaking is this news, really breaking. Is this really breaking? Yeah, this is breaking news oh. on the biggest news of the week. Penguins mm-hmm. are in fact not getting taller. Were you surprised by that? Chris, I'm very surprised because I have always believed that penguins are like redwood trees and they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger until they eventually get eaten by something bigger. And then if a penguin doesn't get eaten, then really he's, um, you know, he's as big, he's as big as a basketball player. Yeah. What I don't understand is like some a science department at some university decided on Monday to say, Holy shit, penguins are getting taller. And all it took was a few days later, it's Thursday in the same week, and evidently they just come out and say, oh, we fucked up. They're actually getting smaller. <laughs> this is basically penguins are the new penguins are the new um, the new Pluto. Like as yeah. far as like as far as one week, one week astronomers saying that uh, Pluto is a planet. And the next week, astronomers saying Pluto's not a planet, mm-hmm. and then it and then it is a planet again. And, What's Uranus? And not a pla- and then and then it's not a planet. Uranus. Well, <laughs> that's that's my business. Thank you very much. I'll uh, 
I'll like you to stay out of my personal business. <laughs> I've, I've made that joke about 6,000 times in my life. <laughs> and maybe right. it, it makes me kind of four years old, but you know, I like it. I love that joke. I just, okay. Yeah. I'm going to pause. Actually right, named I'm going pa to pause right here. Hold on. I'll be right that, back. <laughs> I'm going to check my anus. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, I'm back. It takes me so long to walk across my own damn house. I walk like a 90-year-old right now. You should, you should get yourself a, like a golf cart. I think I should. I think I um, this. I mean, the house the house could justify it. Or I'm just gonna get one of those uh, those things, you know, for the for the really um, you know either disabled or very very obese people at the at the, <laughs> the, the grocery stores. You the a scooter. <laughs> Yeah, I'll get a scooter. You're a younger man. You should get that thing that, you know, with the two wheels that to move yeah. around your house, whatever that thing is called. Well, I'm a younger man. I shouldn't have I shouldn't have crippling arthritis. That's what that's what I shouldn't have. But um, but yeah, that's but here we are. So well, I have that because I've I've broken a pile of bones. And I'm, I'm yeah, basically a well, bag of bones at this, this point. Is, this is like every joint in the lower body plus my back and you know now some interesting ones in the upper body like my jaw and my uh and my like clavicle yeah my final um, injury my final injury in football was uh, an mcl and i'll never forget what uh the trainer uh who was working on me gives me a bag of ice looks at me and goes maybe you shouldn't play football no more <laughs> maybe you shouldn't play football anymore yeah, that was my Fuck final injury. Give me a salt tablet. Let me go. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, back to what we were talking about. Yeah, penguins. Um, not getting penguins. taller. They're they're smaller. penguins. Penguins and Uranus. Yeah, and of course, yeah, we we're talking about Uranus. Like, uh, who actually sat around and decided we're going to name this planet Uranus? Well, that that would be that like that was an inside be, joke, right? That, that had to have been be, a joke. No, that's the that's the Romans, man. It's the Roman. It's 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 the Roman god Zeus, like or their version of Zeus. Like Uranus is uh, is like the god of all, basically. So we've just uh, like the pronunciation is where we. <laughs> I, I believe I believe he is. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, of course, you know, our, our leave it to our pronunciation to to screw up everything. Like I I used to. Um, I was having this this discussion with somebody too. Uh, like back in my hometown, like my hometown was such a hick hometown that we had we had a street, we had a street, and um, that was uh, I'll, I'll just spell it for you. It was it was A Q U I E S T A. You know you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. You, you know you know what I'm spelling out. Yeah. Um, and uh, except we were such hicks in my town that that street was Aquiesta. <laughs> Aquiesta, that's what we called it. And uh, and so we we just like are, we are we have this magical ability to like hick eyes like any word whatsoever. And uh, and and I, f I feel like that has happened, unfortunately, to uh, to some various uh, Greek and Roman gods. <laughs> Well, of course, we're going to get into it um, here to, to start the show. Uh, Brian Flores is in the news. Chris, did you hear about this? Yeah, I think I might have heard about it. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to get we're going to dissect this whole thing from top to bottom. 
I think we all agree, and I think we both agree here on this show. Uh, the lawsuit is like well, the NFL says it's without merit. Well, maybe how they, they have to. Yeah, well, yeah. The the way that they're bringing it about maybe is without merit, but mm. in the macro sense is absolutely correct and probably the right thing to do. There are mm-hmm. three minority candidates. There are thirty two jobs. There are three minority coaches. There are 32 jobs. There's one yep. black head coach. There's 32 jobs. It's the math. And, and even forgetting free even it looks far more impressive when you, um, you know, even forget the current landscape, uh, like t- forget the current cross section snapshot in time, but just, just over time, the number of um, black head coaches that there have been the number of black um general managers especially general managers that there have been uh in the nfl it's it is i want to say impressive but i actually mean the opposite of the word impressive somehow so Mm -hmm. um so i you know yeah there's there's definitely a case to be made on a macro level here um but it's the particulars obviously to that everybody that everybody will obsess over um yeah and And there's only we're getting into it and there's 17 black uh coordinators Mm-hmm. Uh, two were up for jobs this this past go around. Uh, well, one got fired, which was a head coach, is a former defensive coordinator. Although he doesn't mm-hmm. count in that seventeen, but none of them are getting the upward mobility that was promised when you know certain people said that the Rooney Rule will eventually lead to coordinator hires, mm-hmm. and coordinator hires would lead to head coach hires. Like that yep. has not happened, and it hasn't worked. And it's well, been, you know what. You know what the big barrier is, you know, what Mm -hmm. the big barrier is. And, and this is, this is where, where you can actually point to something that's actually pretty concrete in the NFL's history. um, As far as uh, discriminatory practices is the discriminate, the discrimination that we've seen against black quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Um, Specifically, if you go back in time through NFL history, you go back, you go back to high school level and remember that everything, everything, the entire conduit really starts at the high school level and, and goes through college and, um, and, and then to the NFL. And, um, and you can really look at the, um, the, the quarterbacks in particular, because the, it's become a very, um, I guess a trendy thing. And I, I want to say trendy, but it's so, so longstanding. It's not really, I don't think trendy, but offensive coaches are getting the, the head coach jobs. Mm-hmm. Offensive co- coaches have to be offensive coordinators before there are um, before their head coaches and offensive coordinators before they are offensive coordinators often have to be quarterbacks coaches um, before they are offensive coordinators. It's, it's, is the most popular uh, route to take. And, um, and quarterbacks coaches have to probably have been quarterbacks <laughs> before <laughs> the, before their quarterback coaches. So it really, um, it really kind of starts, uh, from there. Um, um, I mean, but it's aided by a whole lot of other factors, of course, and all, all the way around, but, um, but yeah, that's a, that's a big part of it. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to, and trust me, we're, we're going to get to the dolphins part of this whole lawsuit, but you know, kind of finishing up on, on this part of it, because I don't think we're going to solve racism in this country or in the NFL inside of a podcast. Although it'd be awesome if we could, right? Like we, like we, we could get like 50 or, or 40 million downloads at least on this, right? Like if we've speak, solved. Speak for yourself. I intend to solve it right now. Okay. 
But my idea, okay, and I don't know how much merit this has, but I think if you relax ownership rules in the NFL and you allow for mm-hmm. more, maybe even corporate ownership or group ownership, I think it just organically would bring about more minority executives. And if you get more minority executives, you're going to get more minority coaches. I think it's as simple as that. I may be wrong, but your thoughts on my idea. No, I think it's a little bit more insidious than that. And I think it has to do with the NFL's power structure between ownership and players. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that where you see, like, take the, t- take the NBA as a model, as a, as a competing model, mm-hmm. um, you definitely see a, a lot more power in the hands of players in the NBA as opposed to ownership. And uh, due to that, due to the, the power being, uh, the power balance being tipped a lot further in, in favor of the players, suddenly you have a lot more um, diversity in the uh, in in the coaches or in the uh, NBA um, coaches and and staff and uh, and I think that that's that's really what it's going to be about here is the NFL is just absolutely notorious for um, you know treating players as the underlings essentially you know, the, the coaches, coaches are in charge of them. You know, there's, they use the term, they still use the term when they, when they don't catch themselves every now and then they use uh, phrases like uh, don't let the inmates run the prison or, or the asylum, you know? Um, and, and that's, that reflects a mentality. And, and to your, to your point, I guess, you know, you could draw a straight line to the ownership on that because these ownership ownership almost by definition has to be, this group of very select group of billionaires to the point where it's like, you know, almost like, like who can actually, how many people, like how many people are really able to buy an NFL team at this point? Like, like, is it, is it, do you basically, if you're willing to sell your team, do you basically have like a group of like 50 people out there somewhere? And it's like, well, if one of them doesn't take it, nobody does, you know? And, and so on that, but front, anyway, on that front, hate to interrupt you, but on that front, I had a, and you know, this is where we do our obligatory uh, plug, but on OnlyFans, somebody gave me uh, some stats. There's seven black billionaires in the United States. Mm-hmm. Three are the only ones that would qualify for ownership in the NFL, three of them. Right. right. Two out of the three probably wouldn't have any interest. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I think you've got a valid point on that, but I, th- I think it really, I think it really, the, the quickest way to, um, to make change happen would be a power balance shift in favor of uh, the NFL players um, and the NFL PA. Because um, right now you have, whenever, whenever it comes to collective bargaining and, and such, I think the players are a lot less, like a lot more, a lot less powerful than, um, than NBA players. Um, they're less powerful on the direction the game uh, goes and, and being faces of the game. The faces of the NFL game are still quarterbacks like, you know, um, God bless Dave Hyde. I love, I, I love him dearly. Um, but like, you know, he came up, he came up with something earlier and he was like, you know, this is a mess. Steve Ross needs to take, take a step back. He needs to sell a team. 
Um, he needs to hand it over to Bruce Beal, who's kind of the owner and waiting, uh, which is all fine. And then Bruce Beal needs to just um, just give a minority stake to Tom Brady or Peyton Manning as the face of the team and and like, you know, let them let them be the face of the team. And And, and his point was just get the owner out of it, like get the owner out of the spotlight and, and let a football man do deal with it. But like, I don't know if he like ever stepped back and realized that, you know, the problem as we are brought here by this issue of diversity um, and, and his solution is, is to, you know, to give, to give control of the team to, one of the two biggest white faces in the NFL over the last two, 25 years, neither of whom well, have to be anything, fair, one is neither one, of whom have anything to do with the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, well, to be fair, one of them is tanned and the other one's like kind of pasty. So. Oh, God, he's, he's like, you know, it's like Bill Murray said he's like, uh, like clear. he's not white, he's clear. Um, but yeah, no, I, I so I think, I think like that just I, it really just goes to show you how ingrained this is at every level with, you know, especially with the obsession with the quarterback position and the very long-standing history of racism in the, the quarterback position particular um, it's there's, there's a lot that you're up against uh, if you're, if you're trying to actually think about, think about making change. And it's, it's like this total, like, like I said, I'm, I'm I know Dave Hyde personally, he's a, he's a great guy. And I know he, he just wasn't even thinking, like he's <laughs> just like like let's just, let's just find let's just find two of the biggest names in, in all of NFL over the last quarter century and it's like well yeah the two the the two biggest names are quarterbacks and they're both white and and that's probably not a coincidence and um and it's so it's like uh you know this just shows how insurmountable this wall can seem at times uh when you're trying to climb it yeah, and and I'll tell you a story, and you know, and and trust me, we will get into the the dolphin side of this very very shortly. But I'm gonna I'm gonna do something first. I'm gonna do a little story time. It's the year is either 1987 or 1988, and it's the first day of spring practice. Okay, for me at Hialeah Miami Lakes. All right, and I go out with all the running backs. I had only played running back. Okay, my entire life. That's all I did was. I got the ball handed to me or tossed to me or thrown to me. And I played in the backfield. It's the first day we're on a track. We got track shoes on, no pads first day. Mm-hmm. And remember back then we used to do uh, two a days, right? So mm-hmm. I go out there on the track and they, they basically tell you, all right, what do you want to play? You go with your position group. So I go with my position group and there's about eight, nine guys. I'm the only white guy there. And I go out there and I go get out on the track and I run, I run sub four, seven. And I'm basically like, you know, I'm in line pretty much. They measure me. I measure five, nine, 176 pounds. And for a freshman in high school, that's pretty good for a running back. That's pretty like, that's a pretty big running back for, for a freshman. So everything checks out. And the next day I'm with the running backs group. Okay. We get our pads. I'm, doing all the drills and I hear the coaches whooping and hollering the second day of practice. I go and I check the, the, the initial depth chart and I'm second on the depth chart. The guy who's first is Melvin Lumpkin who ended up getting recruited by Alabama. He ended up going to South Alabama and then didn't never play football because he went on the track team and he was a track star. Okay. But you know, we have some pretty good talent, right? 
And I didn't mind being the backup. Third day, they say, okay, next week we're preparing for a scrimmage. So we're going to start like, you know, putting the team, the actual team together. Right. And I go through a practice and I end up killing that practice too. And this time we had some live hitting. I blocked well. I caught the ball well. And then I went into the locker room and I looked at the depth chart. I'm not on the running backs group. In fact, I'm nowhere. In fact, it doesn't look like I'm on the team. And I'm thinking to myself, I got cut. And I go right up to the already. (laughs) Exactly. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, I'm doing way too well. It's been four days and I'm doing way too well to be cut off of this team already. I go up to the coach and the coach tells me, oh, no, no, you're supposed to be on there. I just haven't finished fixing the the team up because we're we're building the team. And I said, "Okay." so I go back to my locker and then I go right back to check to see where they put my name. And sure enough, I'm first team. Fullback. Nice. Fullback. Look what First they did team. Fullback. You get it? Alf, Alf you look like a fullback. <laughs> <laughs> but you get it? Yeah. I would have yep. not minded to be the, the second string behind Melvin Lumpkin. I realize he's a better athlete than I am. Um, but I'm a fullback now. I'm first team, though. I get to block. Hey, at least you're first team. Yeah, and I get to line up, you know, as a fullback. Were fullbacks were fullbacks being phased out even back then? No, no, they were very, very prominent. But all we did okay. was just like you know lead the the running backs into the hole. <laughs> <laughs> I had never blocked. I've never. I had never blocked for anybody in my life as a lead you're blocker. Basically, you're basically a professional wingman. <laughs> so it started in 1987, and it was probably worse. Okay, and it's 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 just the way the sport is, and. Mm. Will it change? Slowly. Uh, it's changing already. You can yeah. see it. Like, you can see it with all the prospects that come out every single year. You know, uh, Malik Willis might even be the first quarterback taken in this year's draft. You know, so, I wonder about that because there's, you know, I, I always considered him my QB1. Uh, just you know, the overall dynamic level of talent is is just so surreal um, at times. But, um, but you know, the, the, he went through his uh, – he went through his unpopular moments this year and and now everybody's well everybody that i speak to is all all kenny pickett you know kenny pickett is the next joe burrow you know he's and and watching him play is um very similar to watching uh joe burrow but the problem is you know kenny pickett i i think he's been i think he's been um the quarterback of pitt since uh since i was born um and and so i think that uh you know, you kind of wonder how, why did it take him this long to, to really have everything click? And, but you could have made that argument about Joe Burrow as well. Um, but, uh, but I think that um, now I wonder if the senior bowl is starting to change some opinions, you know, something about getting all these guys on the same field and seeing them all throw next to each other. And you see, you see the, how incredible uh, Malik Willis's arm is and how incredible, you know, Carson strong as well. Um then this is this is their time this is their time to punch back and uh and and, and kind of take back some of their position and so now you you might have you know like you said like a, a you might have an um a black uh, qb1 in in the draft this year but um but is that going to change things while the players still have relatively no power mm-hmm. um in the nfl relative to the owners uh i'm not sure i'm not sure that it really will you know because the nba you, you know that's a player's league Right. And yeah, absolutely. That's and that's and, and if I really had to, I, I will not let that go. I think that if I had to pick one reason why the NBA seems ahead 
uh, you know, just in, and just in terms of diversity and, and such. And that's it. That's really it. Yeah. No. And, uh, if, and if you face it and just to keep it local, uh, you know, Pat Riley's very, very famously, you know, face down uh, LeBron James. Right. But right. later on in life, uh, he got Jimmy Butler. Um, who's mm-hmm. who's the point guard on the team making 30 million dollars a year? His best friend, yeah. Kyle Lowry. How did that happen? Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> but yeah. that's that's the way the NBA is like the power. Yeah. The players have an enormous amount of power power. And you almost want wonder if if maybe because uh, NFL football, you know, there's 53 men on the roster. There's 22 starters, uh, you know, there's and so on and so forth. Um, is it just structurally, is it just structurally um, built to where we're never going to see that kind of player power? Um, I don't know the answer to that question, but I, I do think I do think that is the answer to the to the dilemma. But we probably should get into, you know, Flores himself and and the merits of this case. Absolutely, and that's where we're going with this now. Uh, I found the dolphin part of this. Well, let me say that I found the the Giants part like you know compelling, although that's beginning to change a little bit, and the Denver part like downright insulting. Like that happened to me to Denver. <laughs> well, yeah. well yeah. I mean, no, and also to Flores, if that was, if that was, yeah, if, if it's happened, true, like, okay, everything yeah. is, you know, if it's right. true, okay, I'm I'm looking at this from Brian Flores's perspective at the time when I read the when I read the complaint and you could get the complaint anywhere. You just sure. go on Twitter and it's everywhere. You could download it. You could read it yourself. Yeah. And when I read it, I found the, the Denver part completely insulting and infuriating and the giants part, you know, completely disgusting, but the mm-hmm. dolphins part, I found it completely gratuitous and designed to get the media hot on, on this story. Mm-hmm. And all it's done is ignore what the, the lawsuit is supposed to do and just dive into these salacious stories of a hundred thousand dollars for every loss in 2019. I don't know what you make of it. I found it gratuitous and, and I, and I told you on a, on a text string, I found it to be revenge porn. Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to be, see, I'm trying to be really sensitive to something because I actually, I actually, one of the things about one of the, the most insidious things about um, trying to tackle something as broad as, you know, a, a systemic racism uh, in the NFL mm-hmm. um, is it's like this game of it's like this big game of whack-a-mole, you know, and, and it's like, you know, every time every time you try to whack the mole with the mallet. You know, if you don't get it in that half second, you miss it. And, and because because you didn't hit the mold and some people pretend the mold didn't exist, you know, like it, and it's like it, it's really hard to isolate any single instance that you hold up and say, you know, ha, this was this was part of it. This was part of the system. You know, when you isolate just that little one thing, there's always going to be the plausible, the plausible deniability, the reasonable doubt, the you know, and so on and so forth. That makes you say, no, I mean, it was what it was, but it wasn't racism, you know? And, and so I think that there's a danger in that. And so we, we always have to, we always have to pay attention to that, but the thoughts on, on Brian Flores, what he said about the team, first off, it it was so ironic to me because just days before an entire national storyline was shaping up 
about the Dolphins and sort of the what if thing with Joe Burrow, mm-hmm. you know, and and like, you know, and, and I love Barry Jackson um, as well. And but Barry, he said something, I forget his exact words, but it was something like the failure to get everybody on the same page with the tank in 2019. You know, mm-hmm. and therefore, and the winning that Bengals game and and winning too many games and so and so on, um, represented the biggest institutional failure in Miami Dolphins franchise history. Like something something along those lines. It was it was very you know it was very severe language. Um, and and I think Barry was just echoing what like probably like 80 90 percent of fans were all saying which was like you won too many games asshole you know like uh, like you you weren't <laughs> supposed to you weren't everybody knew it was a tank why were you you know winning the games um and, and then it's like so what comes out is Steve Ross supposedly trying to get everybody on the same page with the tank like literally and explicitly trying to get everybody on the same page with the tank. And because, because it's presented a certain way and in a certain context, like the whole script, script is flipped and it's like, Oh man, that was, that was just, that was just dastardly of Steve Ross. You know, that was, and it's like, just a couple of days ago, you assholes were like, were like saying that he's the biggest prick in the world because (laughs) he couldn't get everybody on board the tank. He was, Literally, like what Flores is describing is him trying to get you on board with the tank, trying to get Flores on board with the tank. And and like this is what you were accusing. This is what you were hating on Steve Ross for. So so it's like it's it's ironic. And and I want to separate this from like, you know, the fan sentiment side of it versus the actual rules and legal and implicate, you know, the implicative parts of it. But like from a fan's perspective, you know, there's a couple of fans that like said something on Twitter to me is like, wait, so Steve Ross tried to get everybody on board with the tank and he also tried to get Tom Brady. <laughs> well, sh- shoot, you know, that's I, I, I may have to rethink, you know, my opinion of Steve <laughs> Ross. And, and that's that's a very honest. I think that's a very honest yeah. Way to look at it is like, we will get into the yeah, Tom Brady thing, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, OK, well, yeah, that. I, I get that at the, but at the same time, if you look at it from Brian Flores's standpoint and, and it's relevance to this lawsuit, like there's, there's a danger here. A lot of people are like, Oh, but this is totally unrelated. You know, this is totally unrelated to the racism and, and, and everything like that. And it's like, well, no, no, it's not. Um, it's, he is tying it in and, or he and his legal team are tying it in and they're tying it in. Well, in my opinion, um, in as much as what they're saying is, you know, hey, there is this systemic established racism or discriminatory practices in NFL hiring that you can see from a from a macro level. Um, and part of part of it is even when the black coach gets the job, he has unusual, unreasonable and extreme conditions put on his employment that when he can't he can't satisfy those conditions, he gets fired. You know, he's got the short hook. And mm-hmm. what, what Flora is trying to establish here is offering me $100,000 to lose a game is an unusual thing, an unusual condition to put on me. It is an unreasonable condition in a league that is built for competitiveness. You know, it is an unreasonable condition to put on me. And the fact that I didn't go along with it 
you know, suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm not a team player, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm a hard to work with guy. And so what he's trying to establish is that they, they put unusual and unreasonable in this case, borderline criminal, um, you know, conditions on to his employment. And, and I think that is actually exactly what you have to establish in order to, to connect the dots between, you know, Hey, we've got this broader in a broader sense. We know that the systemic racism is there. So here's, but here's the micro sense, you know, where is it? And I know everybody kind of falls into the trap of being like, well, there, there has to be like, there has to be a smoking gun as if there, there has to be an email, you know, from Steve Ross to Tom Garfinkel, CC Brandon Shore, um, you know, <laughs> Hey, we're going to, Hey, we're going to, we're going to really stick it to this black guy. Uh, and, and he has no choice because, you know, he should just be happy with whatever he gets, you know, like. Like there is no such, there is no such email. You're not going to, you're not going to find something like that. All you have to establish is yes, we know that the systemic racism exists in the NFL. And here is a case where a black coach just happened to have unreasonable, very highly unusual, highly unreasonable. And in this case, borderline criminal um, conditions put on his employment. And, and then, and, and that's pretty much it. That's it. That's, that's not where the, that's not where the case is going to fail. The case is going to fail at all. And, you know, judging, I'm not a lawyer, but, you know, talking to some people that, that are lawyers and they've, they've described all this, the case has like a whole lot of fail points, like, you know, in terms of getting, getting, um, you know, establishing it as a class action lawsuit, establishing a class you know, not getting a summary judgment against it. Um, you know, that's, it, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of fail points. Uh, but the fail point that isn't, in my opinion, that isn't there is if they can somehow prove, if they do have corroborating evidence showing that Steve Ross did in fact offer a hundred thousand dollars for every loss. Um, you know, a lot of people are saying, yeah, but if you can't prove that that was racism then that's it. And I'm like, well, no, that's, no, they don't, they don't really have to, because if they, if, if they are able to show that there's, you know, systemic racism at the NFL level, and that this was a ridiculous, you know, condition that Steve Ross put on him, or in fact, two conditions, both of which were against the rules and we'll go into the Tom Brady one in, in a second. But um, if, if they're able to show that, then yeah, they could get a judgment against they could get a judgment against, and I would file it in the part of the file cabinet that says fucked around and found out, you know, and, and it was, and it's and the lesson in this is don't fuck around because to me offering a guy hundred thousand dollars for every loss is fucking around. You are begging for problems. Um, and if you offer, and also, you know, setting a guy up, you know, trying to get the guy to, you know, because he coached with Tom Brady before trying to get him to, you know, break the rules and go contact him and, and like setting up this, this meeting at a, at a yacht, you know, at the Marina, like all this stuff, that's, that is fucking around. That is fucking around, you know? And, and I, I think you are begging for problems when you really, when you really get too close to the sun like that. And if they got the judgment against them, if they got, you know, picks docked from them, if they got whatever the negative, the possible negative punitive um, result could be, then I would just file it around as, you know, don't fuck around next time. Yeah. Don't. And <laughs> of course the, the flip side of that is if, if you, you know, he can say they put a condition on his employment. Uh, the flip side of that is uh, your owner tried to give you Joe Burrow and Tom Brady and you shit on both. 
Well, right. I mean, that's, but, but at the same time, like this is, I, I actually, I was one of the few people kind of making the, the case against the whole tank thing. And um, at the time, and, and the reason was just because this is a league that everybody you've got million, millions and millions of man hours and, and billions and billions of, you know, even, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's far more than billions at this point, but, but billions of capital, millions of man hours of everybody swimming in one direction in this, you know, the same direction, which is competitiveness, trying to win over everybody else, trying to, trying to beat everybody else. You try and turn that around and start swimming against the stream, which is to say, I don't want to win. I want to lose. Um, you know, everybody, a lot of people like to pretend that they, that they can, they can predict all of the consequences of that intended or otherwise and i just think that you are begging for problems that you didn't even think of when you when you try and do something like that and and here we are with exactly one such consequence you know who would have thought that who would have thought this would come up exactly because you can't you know unless you have absolute you know complete trust on something you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, but like, which which is to say, you have to have like only only three people in the conspiracy. The fewest, the fewer people involved in a conspiracy, the better, right? Yeah, and 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 so you you have to or you have to have or very the more people. people, the more people you can implicate in the conspiracy, the better. <laughs> well, I mean, mean if I more... rob a bank, I, I'm going to try to take you with me. <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, I'm, but but I think I think it has to boil down to only a few people in the room that are like that are very few people in the room that are completely in with you know you know no no uh, issues of trust whatsoever. But even that, even that, when you try to when you try to swim swim upstream against such a strong current, I'm just saying you you you're begging for things that you didn't plan for. And, um, and I think that the, the whole, the whole idea of tanking was, you know, very convenient at the time and, you know, what could go wrong? Oh, well, nothing, nothing has been going right really since then, since, since that, um, that decision to tank because they couldn't tank correctly. They tried to tank correctly. Now all of a sudden they're getting a class action lawsuit because they tried to tank correctly. I mean, it's, there's, there's a lot of, they might even Steve Ross, for all we know, Steve Ross could be brought up on criminal charges because of this. Uh, I'm not saying it will happen, but I'm saying, you know, there's just, there's just so much, I I think don't fuck around. That's all I come back to. Don't fuck around. You know, it's, it's, it's too hard. Like, why are you, why are you doing that? Um, and so I think that this is, this is kind of a consequence of that unintended. And, um, and now, so now we're going to see what, see what happens as a result of it. But, but what I'll say about Flores, I think you and I feel the same way about this is that on a personal level, Flores, I don't know if it was the right decision to fire him. I'm not going to say that, um, from the Miami standpoint, but from Flores' standpoint, he I truly do believe he has nobody to blame but himself for his own dismissal because you and I know too much about, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and this isn't just stuff that we found out at the moment he was fired. I mean, we're, we're talking about over the years 
things that he was pulling behind the scenes, the way that he was treating people behind the scenes, we all saw things in public about his assistant coaches and, and the way that it was like, you know, um, you know, in and out, like these guys would be hired and fired very quickly and discarded. And, you know, it was, it was somewhere, it was somewhere between abrasive and outright abusive. Yeah. Uh, uh, Chris, on one of the people. first podcasts we did in the Brian Flores era, I went on the podcast. I went to, to uh, a practice that he did um, mini camp. Okay. So this is one of the first times he was going to be on the field. And on that podcast, we're talking about three years ago. I told you guys, well, I watched him on one of his, pro- you know, I watched him conduct practice for the first time. And he talks to people uh, in a way that I've never seen somebody talk to people before on right. the field. That was three years ago. You right. think it got better since then? Well, exactly. And, and I just, I think it's ironic. I think it's irony. And when you look at, you know, look at a situation like with Pat Flaherty, the offensive line coach, which recently there came out an article where he finally spoke a little bit about what happened. And, you know, he was, he was recruited by Flores hard. Like Mm -hmm. he made a hard push after him to where he turned down other really good opportunities in the NFL as an offensive line coach to, to take this job with Miami only to be dismissed by Flores four days into training camp knowing full well what this what what this was going to do to Flaherty professionally with his reputation as well as personally you know with his with his life you know his family and everything he knew full well what that was going to what that was going to cost Flaherty and Flaherty tried like he was like listen we can make this work how do you want me to coach it if if there's some difference like I'll, I'm going to work with you I want you I want to I want to be here I want to make this work let's you know don't do this this is going to have some really serious consequences for me. Um, and, and Flores just said, it's not you. It's just my gut feeling. So he's firing this guy four days into training camp for no cause, admitting no cause, you know, without cause. After having put a hard recruit job on the guy to where he turned down other jobs. And, and then, you know, fast forward and Brian Flores is being fired himself for what he feels like is not proper cause. And, and so he comes back with a class action lawsuit. And I just, I, I think I don't have sympathy for Brian Flores because I know how he treated his assistant staff. I know I have treated guys like uh, Pat Flaherty. Like he is, he is complaining. Brian Flores is right now complaining about the treatment he received when I know that he treated other assistants even worse. You know, and I think that I, you know, I, that's that's why Patrick that's Graham. why I have a hard time. That's why Patrick I have a hard Graham. time with this. Patrick Graham fled the scene here. Well, <laughs> to but go the, take, but to go take the same job in New York. I don't know. I, so listen, like I, I don't want to, I don't want to go on that 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 because Patrick Graham actually gave a very heartfelt, you know, uh, defense of Brian Flores. Um, and and describe the Giants' job as basically his his dream job, and and I don't want a rumor monger here, you know. And I, even though I know it's not rumor mongering when we you know we talk to people that we talk to, but um, what I can say is that like with Pat Flaherty dismissing that guy four days into camp for for admit, admitting no cause on it, um, gut. It's gut. It's my gut feeling. You know that that was bullshit. 
that was bullshit. And, and I think that he did similar with Chad O'Shea. Um, and I think that he's done similar with other assistants. He's, and he's not just, he's not just dismissed assistants, you know, for very little, but he's also like sort of stripped them of, uh, of power and played games with them throughout the season um, without much cause. And I think that uh, I, it's just, I find it ironic that he is complaining about treatment from above him uh, of him and his, and his um, hiring when he was turning around and doing that to, to the people below him, you know, perhaps even worse. And, um, and so I, I have, I don't have that much sympathy for the guy. And I do think that he probably brought on his own firing, his own dismissal based on the things that we've heard uh, some of which we can get into some of which we can't. Mm. So I, you know, that's, that's where, that's the disconnect. Yeah. And, uh, and just to put a bow on this and then we're going to move on to Mike McDaniel for a little bit to close out the show uh, to put a bow on this. I think, uh, Brian Flores is doing great damage in the last couple of days with his media tour because he's adding on mm. things mm. to to his complaint. Today, uh, the, his latest is that he's basically accusing Bill Belichick of moving the Giants toward Brian Dable instead of him. And yeah, that was that was a little odd. Okay, like I don't know why you want to introduce something like that. And another thing, when he describes the hundred thousand, I found it really interesting. How nobody's touching on. His exact quote, which is Stephen Ross told him to take a vacation midseason. Do you think that that's real or do you think that they were just joking and he's just using, you know, uh, you know, some conversation that they were joking during the season to try to implicate Stephen Ross on the entire thing? Like, I don't I don't understand that. I, I don't know. Um, and Frank, you know, it. I don't want to. I don't want to like like I said. This is this is also delicate, and and it's also like yeah. We're not going to litigate the entire case right yeah, here, and then I, at the end of the podcast, say, "All right, you're guilty, NFL." <laughs> I have I have I have great sympathy for the for the for the broader the broader um, accusation toward the NFL here. I have great sympathy for the fact that you know people do this exact game all the time when it comes to these, these sort of broader accusations, they, and they isolate, they isolate and strangle each, each individual um, accusation or each individual micro uh, instance until, you know, until they can insert all the, the reasonable doubt that they want and, um, and say, okay, but you know, okay, but that wasn't racism, you know, like, so I'm very, very sympathetic to that, but I'm not, I don't find Brian Flores himself to be a very sympathetic figure. Mm-hmm. um in this and uh but neither do i find stephen ross or the other nfl owners to be sympathetic figures in this so um it's sort of like you know i i, I threw a gif up on twitter earlier i said you know the the, the shakespeare line uh you know a, a plague on both your houses <laughs> you know <laughs> and it, it's it's sort of it's sort of a lot like that because you know what like brian flores has somehow put Dolphins fans in positions of defending Steve Ross and, yes. and no dolphin, hardly any dolphin fan really wants to defend Steve Ross. Well, no fan. Oh. Uh, well, here's the thing. I don't think it has anything to do with Steve, Stephen Ross. And I, I could care less. Like I don't, I don't, well, I should say I couldn't care less. Okay. Uh, Cause everybody says it wrong these days, but Steven Ross, like, I don't care what happens with Steven Ross, but most fans look at their logo being 
that whale jumping through that hoop like you know yeah, people yeah. hold that dear to their heart that's their sure. for a lot of people that's the religion on a sunday for 18 weeks every single year yeah. right yeah, and true. they all hope that it's 19 or 20 weeks and ultimately you have salvation if you get to 22 weeks right so that's what everybody wants. And people don't like that they turn on their their TV. And it's not only on ESPN, but it's on CNN. It's on MSNBC. It's on Fox News. It's on every single channel. All right. Your franchise being dragged through the mud and you feel that it's a little bit unnecessary. You know, that's that's yeah. the that, that's the way I feel. But uh, do you find it? And just to put a bow on this, do you find it a little bit interesting uh, the way the NFL and these teams are responding to this because they're coming out guns a blazing against Brian Flores. No, like, what is it I, don't, that... I, I don't find that unusual. And I'll tell you why, because the okay. very last thing that the NFL needs wants from all this is the same sort of fact finding investigation as what happened with the Washington football team mm-hmm. and, and the which Washington resulted... commander, sir. The Washington, yeah, the Washington Commanders, which the resulted <laughs> in, in a very, yeah, the commies, I love that, um, which resulted in a very few select number of emails implicating John Gruden and forcing him to to step down. Um, but like the rest of the the rest of that evidence was notoriously like bear, thrown to the bottom of the sea, you know, and and that's yes. and. They, the NFL, there's a reason for that. And the NFL does not want that sort of discovery process happening. So they're aiming for summary judgment. They're aiming for they're They're going to come out guns blazing saying this is absolutely insane. Um, and they're going to uh, protect the shield. And the last thing that they want is for, is for this sort of that in discovery for a bunch of emails to start getting scoured. And um, and they have every reason to fear that, because I think that I think that if they did do that on a league wide basis, I mean, at, at the at, at the, the risk of saying that this could become like a witch hunt or something like that, which nobody wants. But if they did do that, if they did a thorough job of it, I think that I think that his case would be made. I think I think I think I think you would, brought, you know, yeah, like it, it would it would be bad. It would be really bad. And, yeah, uh, uh, the, NFL, uh, the NFL can't have that. Yeah, a colleague of mine, and this will be it on this, we promise. A colleague of mine, um, f- um, former colleague of mine, Amber Wilson, uh, she would know about these things. I'm not going to get into her resume, but let's just say she is eminently qualified to say what she says. She's a lawyer. Yeah, she she's a lawyer, right she, but I don't want to say who right she's there. represented, why it gives her a special uh, okay, credibility. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Right, right. right. Yeah, I don't want to say who she's represented before. But she says that the way she reads this, that this is a very popular suit to try to win in the public domain, to try to get change, because she can make an argument how this won't survive MTD, which is motion to dismiss. So yeah. she thinks that the NFL can and the NFL Dolphins, Giants, right. Broncos. I keep, seeing, I keep using the wrong term. I say summary judgment. It's motion to dismiss. That's right. The, that's that they the, can uh, win and they can win early. But that the way this thing is designed is to try to affect real change, right? So maybe she's right. And if she's right, maybe we do get the best of all worlds, right? We do get real change and our team doesn't get dragged through the mud. Speaking of our team, they're meeting. And and look, and it only took us 55 minutes to get to Mike McDaniel. But (laughs) they are meeting with Kellen Moore. 
like let's be very very careful here okay so but we're gonna talk about mike mcdaniel everybody keeps asking me and there's some to suggest that you know i don't know and nobody really knows because i haven't heard anybody say it but dave hyde and omar kelly said today on they do their own their own show on youtube and they said today that they have no clue who mike mcdaniel could be bringing in as as staffers everybody keeps asking me the same thing mike mcdaniel is hired here shortly he is meeting on friday with the dolphins Mm-hmm. Like who could be on his staff? My first guess is that Wes Welker comes in in some capacity. Do you have any other guesses to add to that? I would look at the um the guy that was just uh the, the guy that was actually just fired by uh, the San Francisco for or just let go. Um, I think he was he was uh, asked to take a big pay cut and mm-hmm. um and he refused. Uh, um, his name is uh, Embry. Uh, John Embry, and he was assistant head coach and tight ends coach there. Um, you know, he's been he's been the assistant head coach, not not the assistant to the head coach, but actual assistant head coach to um, to Kyle Shanahan for, you know, the whole time, basically. And he's been with Mike McDaniel a total of five years. Um, and I think that uh, I think that he he would be among the people that I would I would look at, um, you know, the bottom line is, and I, I did this tally, um, he's, he's coached with like, and this doesn't cover everybody. This just covers like, you know, when you, when you look up a team and you look up their coaching staff, uh, who their, who their majors coaches are, um, you know, there's, there's a certain number that get listed, but then there's, there's guys that you're only going to find if you, if you have the teams, uh, you know, whatever the, the, the book, um, that they, that they have for the season. But anyway, he's coached with like 118 different coaches. Um, he's, he's been there. He's been with a lot of different people, uh, because he's been with the, uh, Denver Broncos. He's been with the, um, the Washington football team, the Atlanta Falcons, um, the Houston Texans and the, uh, the San Francisco 49ers, obviously. Um, so he's been in a lot of different stops. He's been with Kyle Shanahan the whole way, but you know, he's been with guys like Bobby Turner for 11 years. He's been with John Benton for seven years, you know, the Lafleurs, uh, Chris Furster, our favorite, our favorite guy, you know, he's been with him more than once. Um, you know, he, he coached under Gary Kubiak and, um, and Mike Shanahan and, um, and Dan Quinn, and uh and one other guy who had been to a super bowl i'm i'm forgetting um off the top of my head but um so i think that um i think that you look at the guys that he's coached with and there are some guys that stand out like maybe because of recency or whatever um and i think that one of them would be scarangelo uh simon has brought him up before i think that another one would be john Embry. um i think that uh you know, he might, he might look to offensive line coaches like, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Zach answer. He might look to give him a chance or like Munchak's um, out there golfing. Like let's build a yeah, super staff around it, here. <laughs> could be, but he, he has never coached with Mike Munch Munchak. So, uh, so who knows, but, um, but, and also the, the thing that's red flagging me about Mike Munchak is, is um, his being replaced by somebody that's um, that's more familiar with the with coaching under that system, and this is essentially um, Mike McDaniel 
his system. So, um, so it just seems like Munchak might not be the, the fit there. Um, but there's the, the guy that's, um, that's the uh, assistant offensive line coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Um, I forget his, his name now. It's, um, it's not George de Leon. It's not Keith Carter is, uh, he's coached with him. He's the offensive line coach of the Tennessee Titans. I'm sure we would love to get a hold of him. They, they have a very good offensive line. Um, Chris Morgan, that's the other guy. He's, um, he's offensive line, assistant offensive line coach of the Steelers right now. He's coached, uh, for five years with Mike McDaniel, different, different stops. Um, you know, he would be, he would be, and, and frankly, I think everybody's thinking of offensive line coaches probably being like the most important hire almost because a lot of people are just assuming we're going to keep a lot of defensive staff in place. Um, so, uh, so I, I don't know. I, I think everybody's just wondering about that offensive line coach. So I would, I would look for, for guys like that. I would, um, Rick Dennison is an interesting one, um, to think about, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't, he did coach with, with what's his name, um, with, uh, with Mike McDaniel, but it was only for one year. Um, and it was a long time ago, but, um, but yeah, that's there's some, some names to think about. All right. And on the way out prediction time, it's Thursday, February the 3rd. Uh-huh. When do they have a new coach and who is it? Well, I'll go first if you want me to. Our, our last prediction failed. Yes, it did. Right. Okay. We, we, we said that we would, we said that we would have our coach before we record the next podcast. Yeah, no, that that has not happened. But you not know, happened. we we also did not predict that there would be there would be a lawsuit. Well, uh, no, you know, who would have league wide? Nobody. Nobody. By the way, I gotta say something. I gotta say something. I gotta say something about the Washington football team. How many skeletons do they have in their closet that, as soon as the the lawsuit dropped, they changed the name of their team to that name, the Commanders? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know, know if that's gonna you know if you're gonna escape the law that way, but you know. That's that's embarrassing, by the way. I think the Pat McAfee show did it best. They go, we're going to test this name, right? So mm-hmm. what they were doing is that they were saying, all right, let's go uh, different teams. They tried Dolphins, and then they started doing chants in their, in their studio, right? And they started doing, here we go, Dolphins, and it worked. They did the Giants, and they did, you know, here we go, Giants, and they were doing all those chants. When they got to the commanders, the best they could do was, here we go, commies, and I don't know how, that, how well that is. I love that. <laughs> i don't know how well that does you know what i mean i love that here we go commies <laughs> you know so it's an awful name i'll never get used to it you know what just go back to washington football team it, i was that was kind of growing on me i go with washington football team yeah but i'm gonna go ahead and predict it all right they meet with mike mcdaniel on friday i don't think they'll step on the senior bowl right or do they because everybody I, has to get back home I, right I think as soon as they know, I think as soon as they know, they're going to make it happen. So I, and, and the thing is, I don't think, I don't think they know, no, yet. They, they need to do this second interview. I don't know when the Callum Moore interview thing is happening, but if he's still interviewing, do not count the dude out because you could, you could, uh, you could end up like it's, it's a final two is, yeah. <laughs> and, yes. and, so, and he's half of it, you know? So I'm, and that's, you know, a lot of people are just like, you know, it's Mike McDaniel, Mike McDaniel never, never could be Callum Moore. I'm like, you know, there's a danger in that, a danger of disappointment, I guess I'll say. Yeah. Um, because, because if you're not, if you're not prepared for it to actually end up Callum Moore, then you're just going to like, you're going to lose your shit when it does happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
But I mean, the, the, the thing is, you know, as soon as they do know, then I expect it to move very quickly. Uh, what we do know is that, and what we've been saying a, a lot is that there was very little chance that this was ever going to be Jim Harbaugh. And that has turned out to be true. Um, you know, it got a little and let more me say, And let me say, I, I, was, I was proven right. And I was proven right for the reason I don't want, and I didn't want Jim Harbaugh. He is kooky. He's a flake. He is kooky. He is. And what that what guy he does took is he meetings uses... with the Raiders, took meetings with the Bears, took the Vikings to the altar. Yep. Yep. And said, uh, no, I can't do very, this. It's very Parcells like, though. I mean, he he likes to use the different sides against one inch and one one another to get the best offer mm-hmm. and um, and really just lay out his cards and then make the final choice. And and that. You know, that was what it, what it struck me as the entire time. I had it from multiple really good sources, like really good sources. I, I can't even say the name of one of them because it would be like, oh, really? Um, but, uh, you know, it was never it was never really a serious option between Miami and Jim Harbaugh. Um, and. And I was told at the beginning of this by another source, it was like, you know, I have a better chance of being the head coach than Jim Harbaugh, you know? <laughs> and I was like, mm. okay, well, that that's certainly saying something. And, and Lot me, twist, you get, you get named on Monday as the, I, as my the interview, head coach. my interview, my interview is tomorrow morning. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, and, and I think that it did, we fell in a trap a little bit. We all fell in a trap a little bit. Like, you know, when the Raiders went somewhere else, because everybody had been mm. thinking that the Raiders were going to Harbaugh when the Raiders went somewhere else. And then when Dayball took his name out for Miami um, and took the giants jo- offer, um, then it seemed like things got a little more interesting. And it's like, uh, you know, Oh, Miami has one less option now all of a sudden and Harbaugh has one less option. So it's like, well, maybe, maybe they could circle back, you know? And, and to me, it was always, it was not Steve Ross who was going to approach Jim Harbaugh about this. But if Jim Harbaugh approached Steve Ross and said, hey, not going back to Michigan, no matter what, you know, it's going to be somewhere in the NFL. Are you interested? And even so, I think the answer is most likely no, because I think that um, there was a decision very early on that Jim Harbaugh is not the most appropriate coach for the Miami Dolphins at this stage, you know, based on based on where they are and what they need. Mm. Um but that was the only way it was going to happen because otherwise Steve Ross was not going to come to Jim Harbaugh and bid against himself, essentially, uh, which, you know, Steve Ross is basically the owner of the Michigan football team. So, yeah. um, so I think that, uh, yeah, that had a very, very little, low chance of happening, maybe somewhat more interesting after the Raiders spurned him and after Dable went off, but, but it still was very low uh, chance overall and it didn't ultimately didn't happen. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they meet with Mike McDaniel on Friday. They announce he's the head coach on Saturday, press conference on Monday. Well, you're probably going to hear about a Friday night. Yeah. You know, from Adam Schefter, you know, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it definitely won't be in our beat because it definitely won't be from our beat because on Tuesday they were supposed to meet with Mike McDaniel and everybody just kept like staring at each other. Are they meeting or they're not? Yeah. And the next morning it took 49ers beat and um, uh, Kyle Shanahan to reveal, oh, no, Mike McDaniel's meeting with them on Thursday, which they then, of course, canceled again. So 
they don't even announce when they're canceling meetings. <laughs> I will not. I will not name a name, but there is a certain person that has been uh, a checkmarked a person on Twitter that has been reporting such such gems as you know Brian Flores secretly wanted Justin mm-hmm. Herbert, which we know is to be emphatically false. Um, yes. You know, there's, but he, he, like, he outright reported, like, I, I, somebody, somebody in OnlyFans actually screen capped it. And I think he's deleted the tweet. And it was like, source Mike McDaniel's Dolphins interview spanned much of the day with McDaniel stressing to Chris Greer his plans on how to unlock Tua. And in the parentheses, wants a quicker passing game and believes he can win with Tua. And it's, and then, and then, like, you know, when it came out that no, he didn't actually interview with them and it wasn't going to happen until later in the week. He's like, my sincere apologies for the confusion. Truly, I never reported there was an interview yesterday. Nevertheless, I'm sorry for the tr- Yes, you did. Well, he's, <laughs> you trying just, to say, he's trying to say he that he meant the first interview. Much the, of the day. It spanned much of the day. He said that their first interview was where, where he said all those um, those glowing things about our, bullshit, bullshit, our, favorite, our favorite little Samoan quarterback. Bullshit, 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 bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> Um, and, and so like, you know, there's, there's a lot of buyer beware out there, um, in the Twitter spaces. So just saying. Yeah. All right. That's it. There is no more next week. Hopefully we'll be talking about a new coach and the Super Bowl between the bought and paid for Los Angeles Rams and the successfully tanking Cincinnati Bengals. (laughs) (laughs) The successful tank. Yeah. The successful tanked. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals and the button paid for Los Angeles Rams. You see, there's two ways to skin this cat, Chris. Okay, there is, there is, and they're going to battle next Sunday in LA. All right, couldn't couldn't put them like couldn't couldn't have a better set of two teams juxtaposed against one another that, that way. You know, if I if I had to choose though, I'd rather buy and pay for my team than than go through a, a tank. You know what I mean? Because it's too risky. Yeah, as yeah. we can see. <laughs> Well, right. as you can see, as you can see, absolutely. it's too risky. You know, you have two examples, you know, the, the Bengals are in the Super Bowl. Like, I think that was my tweet of the week, although I've had a few, you know, like I said, a, a legal strategy could be for the Dolphins to tell Tua to, to sue Brian Flores for starting for a attempted murder for starting Jesse Davis at right tackle, <laughs> you know, a counter well, suit just- to work. It just goes to show you, though, with the tank, you know, everybody expected Miami to be the worst team in the league that year. And, yeah. and sure enough, Miami ends up with the number five pick, not the number one pick. And yes. and I, I went and showed people before the season started, like, you know, I, I was I showed like I forget how many years it was like two decades of history or something like that of like the team that was expected to be the worst in the league, according to Vegas. Mm-hmm. And how often how often they actually ended up with the number one pick. No, and, and sometimes it, was, it really it blew was, up in Vegas's face. Do you remember? Yeah, and I brought well, up the it, example it was, of that it was Bills team. It was something. It was something like only three times in the last thirty years. Yeah, that the 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 team expected to be by Vegas to be the worst in the NFL ended up with the number one pick. Yeah, the Buffalo Bills were supposed to be an egregious example of how you tank. They made the playoffs that year. <laughs> yeah, and and so and so the Dolphins, you know, they seemed to try and do this, you know, quote unquote, ethical tank by, um, by, you know, just, we're just going to rob the roster of all of its talent. And, and then we're going to tell the coach, you know, yeah, go ahead and try and win the games. They tried to do that, but it didn't work. It didn't work. And, you know, there's, there's no reason to believe it's ever going to work. 
Um, and, and especially when you sign Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is basically made to get you five wins. I said that, I said that when we did, when we did it and yes. he got us five wins, you know, yeah, that, that's exactly what he did. Oh boy. Oh, well, like I said, that's it. There is no more next week. We will talk. Hopefully new dolphins coach, whoever it may be. Hopefully it's Mike McDaniel. He seems to be the, our favorite. I will take and, it. And we will talk Super Bowl, Rams, Bengals. That's it. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. 